Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out in the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade. This is America with Rich Valdez, powered by PolitiWeek.com. And Rich Valdez is with us, former Christie administration official. You work for Chris Christie, you've been in politics, done a lot of public service stuff. Rich Valdez, columnist now with the Washington Times. This is America. Richie V, you're on the air with the nation. The nation. This is America with your host, Rich Valdez. What's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, El Conservador, Richie V, all that good stuff. Mr. Call Screener, by the way. And, man, we've got a lot to talk about. So, right here we are in New York City. I'm about 17 blocks away from Madison Square Garden. It's crazy out here in the city, and we might get to that in a little bit, but I want to talk about what's going on in D.C., right? Because this is America, and we're talking about what's happening nationwide. Today's the first day of the hearing to blame Trump and congressional Republicans and everybody else that voted for Trump. They're going to blame us all for this, quote unquote, insurrection, or as Chuck Schumer likes to call it, the uh, the erection, the erection, the erection. And he's uh, he's just a funny guy. But uh, Nancy Pelosi laid the the case out perfectly with her comments saying that, you know, now that we have the two Republicans, and there was more, but the two Republicans that have, you know, been vocal critics of President Trump, and they've joined the committee, we're bipartisan, right? We've got Adam Kinzinger, uh, who is an anti-Trump person who voted for impeachment twice, and Liz Cheney, who was a leader in the Republican Party and went against the party to speak against the president, to vote against the president. So I think that, you know, her vote is her right. I've said this before, and I think that Lynn Cheney has actually governed as a conservative, even though she's uh, an establishment Republican. I think her voting record speaks for itself, but she was wrong. She was wrong on her vote uh, as a conference leader for the Republican Party to, to do that. Now, as a congressperson, she had every right to vote her conscience. You know, that's Nobody's saying that anybody's uh, above any type of reproach. She felt what, what the president did was wrong. I think she's wrong in her assessment, but she felt he was wrong, so she should vote against him. But my contention all along is that she should have resigned her position as a leader within the party to do that, and that's why it was wrong, and that's why I was glad they took her out of that position. And Nancy Pelosi is harping on the fact that she's got two Republicans now saying, no, this is not just a partisan witch hunt. This isn't just the Democrats going on a a uh, publicity stunt, a show trial to go ahead and slander and smear everything that they can relating to Trump and you and me and the liberty movement, because that's what they want to put the quash on. They want to take a few crazies that believe in a few radical ideas and say that everybody's like that. Now, you could say, well, Rich, isn't that what you do? I mean, not every Democrat's an AOC. Granted, you're 100% right. Uh, And that's why I believe there's hope for America. I believe that there's hope when you know that there are people out there that don't necessarily worship at the altar of big government. They don't worship at the altar of any massive, all-powerful union. 
People actually believe in people. People actually believe in their families. And people actually believe in America. And I think that's critically important to remember. But Nancy Pelosi seems to believe in an America that only exists inside of the Washington bubble. The Washington that she's created. The Washington where she wields all the power. And that, to me, is part of the ruling class, as Marx would put it. So I want you to hear what Nancy Pelosi had to say about this January 6th committee and how excited she is that it's coming to fruition today. First of all, no, I'm not concerned about any threat from the Freedom Caucus. We get those every day of the week. Uh, Our confidence that we have in the work of our bipartisan uh, committee that we have now, Select Committee, led by Chairman Benny Thompson, bipartisan with the participation of a very courageous member of Congress, Congresswoman Liz Cheney, uh, is high. My confidence is high. I do believe that the work of this committee in order to retain the confidence of the American people, must act in a way that has no partisanship, is all about patriotism. And uh, I'm very proud of the members of the committee, and I'm certain that they will accomplish that goal. We have to, again, uh, ignore the antics of those who do not want to find the truth. We will find the truth. That truth will have the confidence of the American people because it will be done patriotically and not in a partisan way. All right. So you know what I say? I say we have to ignore what Nancy Pelosi is saying, right? Because she says, let's ignore their antics. I say we ignore them because and it's hard to ignore them because you do have to kind of take what they uh, say and take it head on. But we do have to ignore the stupidity and all of the gamesmanship. And it's like her and Biden. and, And there's this whole complete political class McConnell that literally just rely on gamesmanship, on fancy circuitous speak to get around people, to try and talk circles around people because, well, they they know better than you. I'm here and you're not. I'm better than you because I'm an elected uh, member of the House of Representatives, an elected representative of the people. And while there is virtue in that, I think, by and large, in particular in these cases, not so much virtue in Nancy Pelosi, right? I mean, let's just be honest. I don't think anybody says, my goodness, we are voting for Nancy Pelosi because she's just such a virtuous person. No, they go, no, you know what? She's the closest thing to a Mussolini that we have, and that's who we need. If we're going to get things done, we're going to beat these guys. If we want to get our way every single way, nobody knows how to skin a cat more ways than Nancy Pelosi. She knows how to get her way, whether it's by hook or by crook, and we've seen her do it a million times. So I think she's an adversary that we have to be uh, weary of and make sure that we understand that. But that's what they did today. They launched their committee. And, of course, Republicans that step up, there's a handful of them, right? You've got the Matt Gateses of the world, the Jim Jordans of the world, the people that say, you know what? I don't care what these people have to say. I'm going to tell you the truth the way I see it. The way it is. And I'm going to give you the facts to back it up. So I want you to listen to Representative Jim Jordan, who blasted them back from uh, Capitol Hill. Listen to this. Why don't the Democrats want to get to the truth? Why don't they want to answer the fundamental question, which is why wasn't there a better security posture on that day? Let me just read from a news account from February this year. Pelosi's office had previously impressed upon the sergeant of arms, Paul Irving, that the National Guard was to remain off Capitol grounds. Irving told House administration the discussion centered around the, quote, optics. Why were the Democrats so concerned about the optics? Why were they so concerned about how it would look? Because what happened last summer? It's all driven by what happened last summer 
where Democrats normalized anarchy, normalized political violence, raised bail money for the very rioters and looters who destroyed small businesses, attacked innocent civilians, and maybe most importantly, attacked police officers. When you spend a year talking about defunding the police and actually defund the police, it's kind of hard to have more police here on January 6th like they should have done. That's the fundamental question. Boom. Jim Jordan knows what's up. He called it exactly how it was. You got to push the Democrats back on their heels because if you don't, they'll keep coming at you. And they don't care because, again, they're not necessarily using the facts. They'll take one or two facts, mix it in with as much uh, hyperbole as they can, and voila, the making of propaganda. And this is what they do. Now, I understand. Everybody can push back and say, yeah, but that's in effect what you and all the others do, right? That's what uh, everybody in quote-unquote right-wing media. I would say no. I think there's a lot more thought going into things here. I think there's a lot more of a basis that is not rooted in government. Uh, But you can make that assertion if you want to. My uh, contention is that we can't live a life or govern in a government where we really think that the government in and of itself and its ability to take people's tax dollars is the only way that we can survive. And that's the only way to fix every single problem that there was. The government's not a church. So kudos to Jim Jordan. But, uh, and I think it's good for him to push back. These things are important because I agree. What is it that they're afraid of? Clearly, the Democrats are afraid of the actual truth. And and I don't think they're really afraid. I think they're just very, very cautious to make sure that they are rarely in a position where the Republicans can be on offense. So they're just constantly throwing stuff at them. You know, if you say it enough times, it works. And half these people believe it. I mean, there's a a majority of people, uh, at least a, a, a fair amount of people, I should say, that truly believe that Trump is some sort of evil, horrible individual, then there's other people who actually know him, and there's people who don't know him, who have a good opinion of him. And, you know, some would argue that it's half the country and that it's, you know, 74 million Americans. I I can't say that that entire monolith uh, loves Trump. I will say that um, I would say the vast majority of them do. And, you know, and this is where other people make the argument that it's about a personality of cult, a cult personality, this, that, the other thing. Uh, I don't know. I, I I can't uh, subscribe to any of that stuff. I don't. I do love Trump's personality. I love the way he governs. I love the way he gives it to the media in many ways. And I've said this before. He's like the talk radio president. If you were to take a talk radio host and make him into a president, you'd get Trump, right? Just imagine somebody actually going out there, giving them funny names, making fun of them, ridiculing them, minimizing them as he should. I think that's all terrific. You know, all the names that he came up with in the primaries and all of that stuff. Yeah. Sleepy Joe. Oh, Sleepy Joe. Yeah, I love that stuff. But uh, is it true that some people are solely fans of Trump because of his personality? That may be true. Is it true that some people are cult-like fanatics? That may be true, too. Is it, by and large, the majority of people? No, hell no, it's not. I think most people see Trump as somebody that's done something really, really good for America. And they see him as a leader, not because he's got machismo and bravado, but because he's stepped up and he said, you know what, I'm going to leave my beautiful uh, Fifth Avenue penthouse. I'm going to take my supermodel wife. I'm going to move there. I'm going to have my kids come. We're going to lose tons of money in the process. People go, oh, but you made money here and you made money there. I don't even think it, it, it remotely even came close. Maybe he'll make it back in the future with the cachet of being a former president. Who knows? But I can say right now, I don't think so. I think he's got $45 million right on hand for his pack. People say, oh, the grift continues, all this. 
it's on record that he lost more than half a billion, like $600 million. I bring it up as often as I can because I think we have to pay attention. Making $45 million in a pack where you're going to spend it on ads and whatnot and travel and whatever is a drop in the bucket, literally, to losing more than half a billion dollars. But this is what Democrats do. They love to try to keep the uh, Republicans on offense, uh, on defense, rather. And um, one of the best at this, Adam Schiff. That's right. Schiff for brains, Shifty Schiff, whatever name you got for him. Adam Schiff for brains. He is a, uh, I think, a master. I'm going to say he's one of the, the better demagogues out there that knows how to turn things around that, you know, could villainize a, you know, a seven-year-old cancer patient. He, he could do that. He has that ability because of his way with words. And I want you to hear what he had to say about the January 6th commission and how he's vilifying literally every last one of us Americans. Well, it tells you where Kevin McCarthy is and where the Republican Party is, and that is they're an anti-truth party. They don't want the facts to come out about January 6th. And we really already saw them punish Liz Cheney by stripping her of her leadership position and not for anything having to do with the select committee, but because she refused to carry the president's big lie about the election. And she was willing to speak candidly about January 6th and where she thinks the Republican Party ought to go. So the retribution began earlier. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they did, did more, but it just shows how hollow uh, that party has been, how much it has been hollowed out by the former president. And it's really more of a cult of his personality now. Wow. So the Republican Party is an anti-truth party. I mean, do you see how they make these huge blanket monolithic statements to, to make it a catch-all so that, you know, the Liz Cheney's and everybody else are like, no, 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 that's not me. I'm not an anti-truther. No, I believe in the truth. No, let me, let me separate from the pack. Divide and conquer. This is what they specialize in. Shifty shift. He knows what he's doing. I think when he's like lying and thinking really deeply about how he's going to pull off his next lie, his eyes kind of bulge out a little bit. And that's why he always has that funny look on his face. But this is the problem that we face dealing with these untruths. So you have to just stay on your toes. You know, kind of like, I guess, a boxer going into a fight. You've got to study your opponent and see what is it that they constantly do. If they got this killer jet like McGregor, you got to watch that left hand. Conor McGregor's got that crazy left hand. It's like a Mike Tyson left that just catches you and you, and you go down for the most part. So I think most people know how to watch it. And then they look for other weaknesses of his and said, let me focus on that. And I think Trump was a good tactician in that way. He was able to do that. And there's a, lot, a few of them out there that are doing that. And I think you and me and the rest of us as political observers and really uh, as we move from being political observers to really being activists, right, in, in our country, in our own politics, in our own government, we have to keep that stuff in mind because demagoguery is playing such a big part of things. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a former state legislator. And they were, you know, very anti-Republican Party in their sentiments in, in our conversation, saying things like, you know, the party's lost its way. They don't know what's going on there. There's no more of this. And, and I understood where they were coming from, because a lot of people don't like this new brand of rambunctious Republican and others love it. Then you have all of the I voted for Obama twice, but now I'm a Trumper crowd, which they're all over the top. And I love them. God bless them. Right. They're, they feel so guilty. We should call it Obama guilt, right? Instead of white guilt, Obama guilt. They feel so guilty that they voted for Obama twice that they're willing to vote for Trump a hundred times to, to make up for it. And you've got all these different factions that are out there and everybody's warring in, in the uh, ideas category and my idea is better than yours and whatever. And that's good. I think it's a good to have a robust free marketplace of ideas. But we were talking and her 
contention was that Republicans keep missing the mark. We focus on all of these culture wars while not providing any concrete solutions to real problems that are facing real people. Where is the representation of the people? And my counter to that was, well, I think real people are actually feeling the culture war at home. Critical race theory is a real thing that's actually bothering many, many people. Now, it's not something that I can say is creeping into my kids' school insofar as I've seen. But that doesn't mean it's not there or that it won't be coming later. Right? So some districts are more progressive than others. Some are guilted into teaching a revisionist history. Others are saying, well, you know what? I'm not going to teach any kid here, irrespective of their skin color, that they're somehow oppressed. And you know what? Good for them. I think there's a, a, a contingent of these critical race people that aren't necessarily fixated on that oppression versus the oppressor versus the oppressed. They're not. I think they really want to harp on the idea because they believed what they've been sold, right? They, they sipped that Kool-Aid. They believe that this stuff is um, somehow a conspiracy against our own history, that we've whitewashed history and that kids are not being taught that slavery was bad, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Or that somehow redlining 50 years ago it is something that we still practice today. Now they'll say, no, 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 don't be ridiculous. It's not that it's still something we're doing today. It's that the remnants and the negative effects of it continue today. Granted, I would say there are people that still suffer from the oppression from the English crown. There are Native Americans that still suffer from losing their land. There are you know, the Mexicans in the Spanish-American War and, and Puerto Rico being um, acquired through that. All of these things in the Spanish-American War. So, I mean, you could find a victim... As far back as you want to look, all we can do is make sure that we do what's right going forward. And as the government kicks off this January 6th committee and you have people like uh, Chuck Schumer saying that Donald Trump is a despicable person, it literally sets the stage to echo that in the media so that those that don't like Trump make it okay and begin to rationalize with thinking that you and me and anybody else that may have supported President Trump's policies and his presidency are also despicable people. And to add insult to injury, they're also doing that with vaccines and saying, look, if you're uh, anti-vaxxer is the term they use, and that's fine. There are anti-vaxxers. I've known many, and um, I don't consider myself one, but I might be. Who knows? Point is, it seems like the Democrat Party is trying to justify making Americans more tribal or tribalistic every day. With each successive media cycle, we have more and more division. That's something I think that we need to stop because ultimately you are setting the stage for a very balkanistic, tribalistic society where people are not going to like each other. And we're already seeing how that pans out with black Americans versus Asian Americans in New York City. Every day there's a new beating. There's these brutal street crimes. Heck, look at California and Oakland. Senator Barbara Boxer, one of the biggest liberals ever. She just got robbed. Dude pushed her on the ground. I don't know if he punched her or whatever. He grabbed her pocketbook, took her cell phone. I know in New York they call it apple picking. They knock you out and they take your iPhone. I'm going to pass on the apple picking. We don't need that. We need solid leadership that's going to support the police. We don't need the police to come into Capitol Hill and bang on the desk. And complain that their lives are under fire. I understand that, sir. I respect you and your job. That's what you signed up for. And all that other crazy stuff that's on Twitter right now, if you haven't seen it, with the uh, FBI guy that's now arrested trying to incite people to go inside the Capitol and them saying, no, 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 you're a Fed. I mean, all that stuff is out there. 
We've got a lot of issues on the table here, and we've really got to pay close attention to them, because if we don't, they're going to catch us off guard. Anyway, keep it locked right there. I'm Rich Valdez. Straight ahead, we're going to talk about more conflict on Capitol Hill, a little bit further down the block, actually, at the White House with the Cubans versus Antifa. Don't move a muscle. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America. This is America. Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out on the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade. This is America. What's up, America? Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S. That's right. And I'm on all the social media. Click the follow button because that's how we keep in touch. Otherwise, it's very difficult. I don't do a whole lot of emailing. I don't have an email list. If you think that's something I should have, let me know. And by the way, thank you for the reviews. There's so many people out there with the uh, excellent reviews and they're doing you know, uh, just great things. I mean, I can't even uh, express my gratitude for all of the nice things that you guys say and for listening to the episodes. And I get static, uh, excuse me, not static, statistics on, uh, I was saying data and statistics at the same time, on how long people listen to each episode. And as I look at that stuff, it's uh, amazing how long you listen. Some people listen to 10 minutes in a lot of shows. Here, you guys are listening. About 90% of the audience listens all the way up to about the last uh, part of the last segment. So pretty much, uh, I think it's 89 or 90% um, is how you guys are listening to the show. So I really want to thank you for that because that means a lot to me. But yesterday, I had a conversation with another listener to the show. He's actually a Capitol Hill TV reporter. And while we were talking, he was describing what he saw outside the White House. And I thought, you know, what, he asked me, you, you heard what's going on at the White House? I was like, no, I don't know what's going on. You know, I'm thinking something Biden said, something Jen Pasirko-Back Pasaki said. But no, instead, he's telling me about uh, this drama that's going on where there's continued clashes with Cubans. And the Cubans are, are clashing with Antifa. And this is a big deal because there, you know, some of the conflict was um, physical, but there was a lot of uh, blustery back and forth rhetoric. And um, our buddies from Real Lexit uh, have a video out that captures some of it, and we're going to bleep some of the uh, the profanity. But it's really, you know, it's something you want to see. And I'm, I've shared it on my social media, so make sure you check it out at Rich Valdez with an S at Rich Valdez with an S on all the social media. But you want to check it out because. It shows you the commitment that so many Americans of Cuban heritage have to seeing liberty, libertad, libertad, right? To seeing that become a reality in Cuba and to seeing the animosity they have towards communist organizations or communist sympathizers, these Marxists that run Black Lives Matter as an organization, as a movement, uh, not the words per se, but the movements that have supported Fidel Castro and, of course, um, Antifa and whatnot. So I want you to listen to this because I, I find this to be um, pretty, pretty eye-opening. Cuba. Black people are dying in Cuba. Black people are dying in Cuba. 
I mean, serious stuff, a lot of emotion, very raw emotion. And, you know, you don't typically see that type of thing from the pro-democracy, pro-liberty, a.k.a. the right wing, as they like to call us, right? You don't typically see that. So I think that, you know, when you have these pro-liberty demonstrators and they're getting heckled by Antifa and the BLM rioters, that they push back and they stand their ground. And I think it's remarkable because, again, you typically just you don't see this enough and you're seeing more and more of it. And again, some people look at this and they're like, oh, it's the writing on the wall. We're having a civil war. I I would not jump to that conclusion. Um, If we were having a civil war, I think we'd have it. There's people that love to do this. The Rose City Antifa people. It's like playing tackle football on a Sunday. Every weekend, you got the Patriot pray, uh, Prayer guys and other, um, you know, pro-liberty groups and people that are just looking to promote liberty. And then you have the Antifa people and now the Black Lives Matter people that they meet up and they go to these big parks and they just literally joust. They bring their flags that are on these huge poles that they use as um, spears and whatnot. And they just go at it fighting and they bring their milk with them to fix their eyes after they've been pepper sprayed by the other guys. And everybody's got bags filled with bricks and this and that. And it's just... This is what they do. They're like, oh, what are you doing this week? Oh, I'm going down to the park. Yeah, what are you doing? Oh, well, you know, we're going to meet up with Antifa. We're going to, you know, bump some heads. This is what they do. They live for this. And there's a lot of people that live for this. I don't live for this. If I have to crack some skulls, I guess I will. But I'm not necessarily going to say, what are you doing this week? And oh, I'm going to go crack some Antifa skulls. <laughs> I mean, it's just not something that's for me. Uh, and, and I don't recommend it. Uh, I, the whole idea of America was the civil society. Everybody likes to focus on, yeah, but we got to America by being violent and the violent take it by force. And I think, you know, if we really live that way every single day, in every single situation, in every single circumstance, we'd have nothing. We'd have nothing left. But it's the fact that people can walk outside and leave your door open and say hello to your neighbor and people are not envious of one another. And the, the majority of humanity is good. There's a few bad actors, and maybe right now it may look like there's more and more bad actors, and that's probably true. But it's also probably true that I think more and more people are becoming uh, more engaged, more involved, and more active in making sure that things in their community, in their school board, in their government, in their workplace, and whatever they do is right and on the money and on the level, and it's not against what they believe in. So I think people are standing up, and people are doing what, what needs to be done, and they're doing what they believe to be right. At least, I don't know, that's just me. But there's always going to be some conflict. And one of the things that I think is uh, interesting is you've got more of this balkanization, this time on a more specific issue, on the vaccination issue. And I don't really like to get into this because, again, it's one of those things, I don't know anything about this stuff. Some people become internet experts overnight and the mRNA and the RMNA and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just, I'm I'm really just not. It's just not an interest of mine. I have no interest in science. Otherwise, I would have become a scientist instead of a talk radio guy. But... All that being said, it's good to know, it's good to listen, it's good to be informed. That's what we're here for, to be uh, entertained and informed. And I think we, we should know about those things. But one of the things that I think is is wrong is the fact that they're trying to ostracize people for, for not taking the vaccine. Now, the government has a lot of power in a lot of different scenarios. You know, so when they're doing all of this bribery and this encouragement to take the vaccine, I mean, there are radical things that they could try to do that may play out legally and lawfully in court, which I would hate to see happen. Uh, And I hope that they leave it as something that's kind of mandatory, because I do think this is an issue. It's a very hot-button issue, and I think it's one that it's going to cause more problems than it's worth. But at the same time, this is what the government is doing, right? you got the governor of California, Gavin Newsom. He's on CNN today, and he's saying that unvaccinated people are endangering others 
the way drunk drivers do on the road. Now, listen, I think somebody saying that they have a legitimate concern or even an illegitimate concern that's based on misinformation. That person is not as dangerous as a drunk driver. Excuse me, Mr. Newsom. I mean, for real, this is why the polling is showing that not only are people split on whether they should toss this guy out of office in the recall election, but that Larry Elder talk radio host out on the West Coast is kicking butt out there. People like Larry Elder, and you should too if you're in the in the California vicinity uh, and you can vote for Larry Elder. Please get out there and vote for Larry Elder because it's super important and I think we get the right type of people elected. But I want you to hear what Gavin Newsom had to say. Listen to this. Is it time, Governor, to bring back a universal mask mandate uh, regardless of vaccination status there in California? Look, we don't even have to have that debate if we can just get everybody vaccinated that's not vaccinated, that's refusing to get vaccinated, that's living uh, vaccine free and impacting the rest of us. It's like drunk drivers. You don't have the right to go out and drink and drive and put everybody else at risk, including your own life at risk. California is one of the highest vaccination rates in America, but yet we're still seeing an increase because so many people, 25 percent in California, uh, are refusing to get vaccinated. So we're really trying to focus on ending this pandemic once and for all. Those non-pharmaceutical interventions like face coverings and face masking were necessary in the absence of vaccines. But with these vaccines, we can extinguish this virus once and for all and get it behind us and not worry about getting our kids safely back into in-person instruction or keeping our businesses open. Uh, we're in Encouraged by the uh, local determinations as it relates to mask covering, mask wearing. Uh, but at the end of the day, the real focus here, get vaccinated so we can end this pandemic once and I for all. I get that. The real pandemic is Democrats. We need to vote in the recall election to end the Newsom governorship once and for all. No, that's not what he said. Well, that's what I heard. Because I think he's a sangano pendejo estupido. And these are how you treat those people. I mean, sometimes I lose it. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Forgive me. Uh, I, I lost my couth for three seconds. Now, actually, speaking of couth, I'm going to go off on a quick tangent here. Sometimes I'm not necessarily the most polite person. I don't pride myself on being rude or being a jerk or being anything like that. But sometimes, you know, on talk radio, you have time to develop an idea. It's not TV. On TV, it's kind of more uh, rapid fire. It's a question and answer. It's it's a little bit tighter format. You only have a couple of minutes in a segment. So you got to be sharper and more succinct. On the radio, you have more space to really develop I, I, ideas and, and, and get them out there and be whimsical and really wave your arms around and talk a lot like I like to do. But sometimes when you're on the other side of the glass and you're not on TV and you're not on the radio, but you're in the control room, let's just say you're working during a live program uh, as a producer, and people call and they're like, oh, I just want to say, you know, I just got 47,000 of Mark's books. I'm giving them out to all my neighbors. I want to tell them how great he is. You know, sometimes when those things happen, uh, we can't always get you on the air. And, um, you know, a blanket apology to everybody who's offended by my curtness, uh, how brief I am. I believe in brevity. Seconds go by in radio. You, you count seconds. And if it's not a call that we can use, oftentimes it's in the best interest of the program to end that call and get to the next call because we're looking for calls that we can put on the air and not every call is fit for air. So I just wanted to put that out there because a lot of times people, you know, will tweet at me and say, oh, I used to listen to your show until I talked to you at blah, 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 and you hung up on me and you were rude. And I just say, look, that's par for the course. It comes with the territory. It's part of the job. You got to make these tough choices. And sometimes being curt, which you may think is rude uh, or brief, is uh, again part of it as well. Anyway, moving along. 
Now, when I am rude to uh, Gavin Newsom, I think that's a little bit more on point and on purpose. But there's a quick clip from Life, Liberty, and Levin, because I brought up Levin, and I wanted to uh, use that as a segue, for a clip that, of an interview between Mark Levin, between Mark Levin, and Marco Rubio. And I think it's very, very poignant, and he says some really, really um, rudimentary things, but they're worth repeating and worth replaying. So I want you to listen to the great one with Marco Rubio. Check this out. I want to discuss Cuba, if you can imagine all things. You know, uh, Senator Rubio, not enough has been said. We take a step back and look at history. At the media's role of installing this communist regime in Cuba, particularly a guy by the name of Herbert Matthews, particularly the New York Times, and they seem to have no uh, care or responsibility for what they've helped create in, uh, in Cuba. Still very sympathetic to the communist regime there, as I hate to say, as are many of the people in the leading positions of the Democrat Party. What do you make of this? Well, you're right. I mean, people aren't aware of it. You know, Fidel Castro was a liar from the beginning. When he was in the Sierra Maestra as a guerrilla, they covered him. They romanticized him. Uh, the gentleman you mentioned romanticized him. They wrote a series of articles intended to influence American public opinion. He said he was a Democrat. He said he was going to have elections and things he... He actually used to use religious symbolism to sort of make people think that he was, you know, a Christian-like figure and so forth. And then obviously it all changed. He became an avowed Marxist and anti-American, almost started a, a nuclear holocaust with a, with the, um, with a Cuba Missile Crisis, and, and obviously has been a source of instability all over the world. I mean, Cubans were involved in Angola and in multiple countries in Africa. They've been involved in all the destabilization in the Western Hemisphere. Um, they've committed horrific crimes, not just against their own people. They've killed... Uh, civilian pilots, uh, the Brothers to the Rescue, were shot down in 1996, unarmed civilian aircraft who were searching for rafters and trying to save them. So it's been a horrible thing. And you're right about the coverage. I mean, even to this day, you get some ridiculous coverage about you know, how great their health care system is or how their literacy rate is so high and, and how evil the United States is and how the embargo has imposed all this terrible pain on them, it completely ignoring that the only embargo in Cuba is the one the regime has against its own people. If, if a private, it's one of the key points of the Trump policy towards Cuba. If a private Cuban is allowed to open a business, we can trade in commerce with them. We just can't trade in commerce with entities owned by the Communist Party, the Marxist regime of Cuba. And that's the right policy. I totally agree with what uh, Senator Rubio is saying there. And I also agreed with him on his Puerto Rico policy, right? And a lot of Republicans didn't, uh, including Mitch McConnell. And Mitch McConnell seemed to agree with AOC. And I don't want to make this into a diatribe on Puerto Rico, but again, he's pro-statehood, I'm pro-statehood. The GOP platform for the last two decades has included um, statehood for Puerto Rico as an actual plank in the Republican Party's national platform. So to, to shy away from that now because it's uh, politically expedient, I think is exactly that. It's politics. You're playing politics with something that has been long thought out, so thought out, just like being pro-life is part of the Republican platform that they put it in writing and they did so two decades ago and have kept it there for two decades, maybe more, might even go into the 80s. So my point is, I think Rubio's right here. Now, I had some interesting conversations the other day with someone who'd visited Cuba and said that, you know, it was better living for the average Cuban making 20 bucks a month than it was for a homeless man in New York City. And again, I haven't been to Cuba so I shake my head, you know, and I say, okay, sure, yeah, whatever. You know, I understand your point. Uh, I mean, I, I think I would much rather be a homeless man in New York City 
than a poor oppressed person in Cuba. But I think the argument that was being made was that, you know, at least the observation, I shouldn't say it's an argument because I don't think this person was arguing for anything or against anything, but was just making an observation of a trip they took to Cuba and was saying that, you know, for the most part, even though you get rotten food, there's food available and that even if you have to wait a while, there's medical care and that you don't need to sleep on the street and live in the street and potentially rob people because the government will take care of you and you'll be just as broke as the guy next to you. But but it, it helps that population of people. And I've also heard the same argument. And I brought it up two or three episodes ago where somebody was arguing that, you know, infant mortality rates amongst the poorest people went up because of communism in Cuba. And again, I think, yeah, well, I guess if we were to make Jeff Bezos into a pauper and everybody else and take that money and fuel the ruling class and just have a bunch of broke people that are not so broke they have to live in the street, but say, hey, look, you get this amount of toilet paper every month. You can go to whichever government market you like. It's one of those things where I think this may be a misnomer in the media. At least that was um, this individual's contention that the media represented Cuba poorly and that post-Fidel, his brother Raul had actually rolled back some of the most stringent uh, aspects of their communist system. I would argue that every Cuban I've ever met, including those that still go back, I have one one family that I know that just went there and they said, look, you know, we're Cuban, we love Cuba, but the hospital was disgusting. And, and not so much that it was dirty, but it was, but she was saying that they just didn't have enough of anything to make it work. It was not a clean and healthy place to be. And it was, she said, you know, I wouldn't want to get sick and have to be there. Meanwhile, Michael Moore, you know, did his whole thing sicko saying, this is the best thing ever. Absolute best medical system out there. I think that remains to be seen. But those are my two cents on Cuba. And I want to get into the final point, which is Essential Andy, Essential Andy Cuomo from the Essential Andy Cuomo podcast, who says, hey, throw them in a car, stick a needle in their arm. Let's go. Let's get this thing done already. And uh, again, I don't want to prolong vaccines. I'm really going to government control here. But I want you to hear what Essential Andy had to say on a couple of topics when we come back. Keep it locked right there. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America. This is America. Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out in the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade. This is America. All right, what's up, America? Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S. And uh, we're talking about a whole bunch of things today, but right now I want to jump into Essential Andy Cuomo. Essential Andy Cuomo, right? You know him here in New York City, uh, Essential Andy. You might have a different name for him, but I always call him Essential Andy because I felt like he needed a name for his podcast because I felt like doing that press conference that he did every single day during the coronavirus pandemic at the height of the pandemic every day 11 30 a.m he'd have a bunch of cameras and it was like the essential Andy Cuomo podcast starring essential Andy Cuomo 
and he uh, would talk about, you know, my mother, and oh, she makes the best meatballs, I love my mother's cooking, and my brother, my brother Chris, I'm so proud of him, and, and he would just go off and talk about his family, and you know what, I talk about my family too, so I respect that part of it, but I just thought it was interesting that he was doing what I do on my podcast, and I thought, I thought you were doing a press conference, sir, so <laughs> he became Essential Andy, uh, who decides who is essential, who's not essential, and Essential Andy is now back. And he's got a lot to say, principally in this shortcut that I got from uh, Vicky Palladino, my friend out in Queens, District 19, city council candidate. He says, listen, I'm going to pick him up, put him in a car, put the shot in the arm. Listen to this. And we have to get in those communities and we have to knock on those doors and we have to convince people and put them in a car and drive them and get that vaccine in their arm. That is the mission. That is the mission. That sounds like kidnapping, sir. Now, I'm not trying to make any type of stereotypes, ethnic stuff, anything like that, but this guy sounds like a gangster, right? This is what we got to do. We got to put him in the car, put a shot in their arm, just get it done with. This is what we got to do. Essential Andy said it. Tell him Andy, Andy, Essential Andy told you to get it done, all right? You'll be good. Just tell him I sent you. Listen, I think Essential Andy is out of control. He just has normalized his gangsterism in the government. It's just completely okay. This, to me, has nothing to do with vaccines and everything to do with an overreach of government power because, because he can. Because he can do it in the name of science, in the name of his, as Curtis Lee would say, his compadre Cheech, Dr. Anthony Fauci, the Fauchster. Come on, man. Or as Joe Biden would say, come on, man. We can't allow that to happen. I like to keep the heat on Essential Andy. One, because I think he's funny and it gives me a chance to practice my impression of him, which is not great, but it's a heck of a lot of fun to do it. I really feel like I ridicule him really well because I don't sound anything like him, but he's fun. He sounds like some weird type of, I don't know, moronic type of nasal creature. But moving on, he also went on to talk about how he's always told the truth, except for when he wasn't telling the truth, but he's always told the truth on COVID-19 since day one. Listen to this. We cannot now go back to where we were. And I am telling you, as I sit here, I have told you the facts on COVID from day one. Whether they were easy, whether they were hard, I told you the truth. While a lot of people were talking politics and a lot of people were talking theory and a lot of people were trying to deny because they didn't want to deliver bad news, I told you the truth. You know why? Because I believe in you. I believe in New Yorkers. I believe if they get the truth and if they get the facts, they will do the right thing. I'm a lifelong New Yorker. I know New Yorkers. Give them the facts. Yeah, but the facts are ugly. Doesn't matter. Give them the facts and they will do the right thing. I am telling you as I sit here today, if we do not make progress on vaccinating that unvaccinated population, 25%, with the Delta variant, you're going to see the numbers go up. Well, there you have it. Right now they have their new COVID, right? They saw, listen, we had coronavirus. That thing worked like a charm. We shut down everything that we had, all the control, all the power, all the media attention. We had it all. Then Trump came, messed everything up with the damn vaccine. Let's use the vaccine to our benefit. But in the meantime, 
we will continue because they know that the vaccine's an issue for some people that it's just going to be, you know, they're not going to be able to get everybody vaccinated. Okay, understood. We saw this with the uh, other pandemics in the past. But they've come up with their new and improved bad guy. The Delta variant, variant, variant. I'm adding those special effects, by the way. And the Delta variant, 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 variant. It's so sinister, so evil, so nefarious. It's the Delta variant. And it's somehow, it's super penetrable. It's going to penetrate your immune system. It gets through every vaccine. It gets through absolutely everything. And I'm just tired of it. I think you are too. So we're going to see how this thing plays out. They can keep their Delta variant. They can keep their vaccine. Give us back our economy. Give us back our classrooms. Give us back our country. Give us back our America. It's why we need to stand for something. Because if we don't, we'll fall for anything. And I talk about that a lot. And I also want to talk about, to all of everybody listening, you can listen from anywhere. But if you're out in Philly, as you know, we're taking the show on the road and we're going to different places. And tomorrow, uh, which is going to be Wednesday and Thursday of this week, I'm going to be hosting from 10 to noon on 1210 WPHT. I was out in WPHT years ago uh, as a young, young whippersnapper getting into radio, like three years ago, and uh, it was a great time. It's a great audience. We love uh, everybody in what was formerly called the Big Talker. It's a great Huge signal in Philly that reaches all the way out into Jersey. So if you're out in the area, turn it on 1210 on the AM dial WPHT in Philly. Rich Valdez from 10 to noon. I'm really excited to be there. And uh, please tune in if you can. And of course, continue to listen to the show on iHeartRadio and Spotify and however you're listening to the show digitally. That's uh, super important to me. And of course, to getting this message across, nobody hears it if you're not sharing it and sending it to other people. So I appreciate that as well, as, as well as your kind words. But I left off with saying the quote from Hamilton. We have to stand up because if we stand for nothing, we will fall for anything. So we have to read things and know things and be better than so much. When people tell us that's happening because of racism, we could say, no, that's happening because there's a fatherless home. And it may be disproportionate that it's happening to black families, but the color of your skin doesn't make you not like your father. That's government policy picking on people. So if you want to say there's systemic racism, we could say that FDR's policies were systemically racist that eliminated fathers primarily in black and brown homes, but not exclusively. And that housing projects and so many other government programs to quote-unquote help you are really hurting you. And we have decades and decades of anecdotal and actual longitudinal data to support that. So we have to know better and be better and do more. Because the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good people like you and me and the rest of us to sit here and do nothing. So say something, write a letter, make a sign, start a campaign, start a pack, start a TV channel, do whatever you can. Now's the time. Honestly, I think the best thing to do is get into an industry and try to take it over from within. Become a school board member, become a member of the media. Do something in one of these areas that is deeply affected. The other day, somebody shared something with me that I thought was truly profound. Because I do get a chance to speak to a lot of people and oftentimes they say this. And this is my final thought. And they always say, what can we do? I'm just a regular, I'm 65 years old. I got grandkids. I'm not going to, I can't do anything now. I could write a check for 50 bucks. And I realized, you know what? This person that gave me this advice, they said, maybe our senior citizens and people like that, that are home that, you know, can't go and rally in Washington. 
Maybe they should start auditing college classes. As an audit student, a lot of times senior citizens can do it for free in the public schools, you know, in the state universities and the community colleges. And just imagine well-read, patriotic, constitution-loving, America-loving patriots, citizens of the United States, sitting in these classes as they're telling the next generation how great Marx was and for these people to start heckling them. I'm sure they're going to get kicked out of class, and I'm not saying they should heckle them. I'm saying they should challenge them authoritatively, knowledgeably, and say, you know what, I push back on that because of this. What about that? What about FDR's policies? And really bringing it to that level so that people can see, wow, there is another side to this argument. Because 17, 18, 19-year-old college students that are fed this pack of lies built on emotion are eating it up hook, line, and sinker, and it's changing what America once was. And change could be good for a lot of people, but when you're changing the actual values of who you are as a country, Houston, we've got a problem. So we have to stand for something. And I think the time to stand for something is now. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, America, I am Rich Valdez, and this is America. This is America. Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out on the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade.